The Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything going on at Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's secondmissionfoundation, all one word, .org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. So if you haven't been there lately, check out Havoc Journal. Read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. Check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. My guest this week was Army veteran, stand-up comic, and most pertinently for today's interview, documentarian. Chris Sparks. Um, Chris has created a documentary um, called Thank Me for My Service, A Veteran's Cry for Help. It is, I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's a tough, tough, tough watch. Um, It's tough to watch technically. There's very little editing. Um, It's done very vlog style. Um, where the only narration is really him speaking to the camera, and the camera's on him pretty much the whole time. And it's rough when it comes to the subject matter, because the subject matter is him, and watching him go through a meltdown, um, a mental breakdown. The other key aspect is that this happened in August of this year. He and I are talking at the end of November. So that's a pretty quick flash to bang, and I, I... was worried going into the interview that there were going to, that, you know, this might not have scabbed over yet, that this might very much be an open wound with a lot of loose nerve endings out there. And, you know, I wasn't sure how much in a place Chris would be to talk. And considering that he is the subject matter of the film, it was going to be hard not to, you know, talk about him and his mental state. But, uh, but that fortunately was not the issue. I mean, Chris is, is a great guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. Um, just incredibly humble and articulate and thoughtful and, um, and with a, a good bit of anti-authoritarianism probably in there, but uh, you know, that you kind of need that moxie um, to do what he's doing and taking the path that he's taking. I thought it was appropriate um, for this episode to piggyback off of um, the interview I did for Chris for Savage Wonder. And I, I thought it was that was probably appropriate because, look, I mean, the issues of PTS and suicide prevention aren't going anywhere anytime soon in the veteran community. And I think it's important for um, those that are trying to untie the knot and, and you know, have those discussions 
to kind of get an audience and 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 make sure that their contribution is heard. And Chris has certainly put <clears throat> a lot of his own, you know, stuff into uh, into this conversation. I mean, they, he he bled on the screen. Um, fortunately, not literally, but but figuratively. And I think it's important to uh, when somebody antes up something emotional like that to honor it and give it a give it a hearing um, in the community. So I think it's a very worthwhile episode, and uh, it's a tough, tough watch, though. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I watched it right before we did this interview, and um, I would not see it again. Um, Not a knock on Chris or on his filmmaking. Um, I do wish, and as you'll hear me talk about on the episode, I wish there were some other choices he'd made. But, you know, it's a rough subject matter, and uh, I think it's, you don't always want to spend that much time um, looking into the abyss that way, or at least I don't. Um, but I think that doesn't mean it's not a worthy film and worthy of discussing and worthy of analyzing and worthy of of uh, adding to the conversation. Um, I should also mention, I, I this is to Chris's credit, we had such a good time talking as I really enjoyed um, him as a person and, and you know, his articulation his his uh yeah i just he's a great conversationalist i just really enjoyed talking to him uh but it did mean that i kind of lost sight of the fact there's an audience out there so i said uh something i shouldn't have uh because we started discussing bikram yoga and uh as a treatment method for injuries um when we we're talking about chris's injuries and what have you and uh and i said uh you know something about uh, Bikram and, and the accusations of sexual assault that have come his way, but I didn't phrase it very well. So uh, you'll hear that bleeped out <laughs> in the episode. Uh, but, um, but anyway, for those that are wondering what got bleeped out, um, that's what, what it was is that Bikram uh, got accused of sexual assault, I think rape, sexual harassment. I don't think any criminal charges were ever filed. Um, but there were some civil suits made, and he's, I think, fled the country. Um, and I don't know. Anyway, that's kind of all legal stuff that should probably be said. <laughs> so, and for what it's worth, I, I will say, I mean, spoiler alert, I'll talk about it on the episode, but I'm a big fan of, of his yoga system. I think it fucking helped me a ton, um, just for what that's worth. Anyway, uh, the duality of man, right? The ups and the downs of it. Anyway, okay, without further ado, uh, let me get to the interview. I think you guys are going to, um, I think this is going to be uh, an impactful one. I hope it is. Um, that's definitely the intent. And um, really interested to see where Chris's life goes from here, where his creative endeavors go from here, and where um, and what impact this film has on the veteran community and in the veteran community's response. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Chris Sparks' Profile in Havoc. the show Chris thank you very much Chris Hi, thanks for having me I'm happy to be here it's gonna sound like a uh, like a truly schizophrenic episode we're gonna keep going hey Chris hey Chris hey Chris Look, and just keep the accent that way they'll know who's it. who <laughs> yeah well I don't know man I mean listening to previous episodes um you could I mean I don't know if you've done any narration man but 
Jeez, you got a nice voice. I oh, could, thanks, man. You yeah, could, well, you could you could probably read me right to sleep if uh, if we had the right material. That, that that's a, that's a great. Uh, yeah, well, if, it, if we get to that point, then we're both in real trouble. Well, uh, clearly, see, we'll have been a really why, boring episode. That's why. That's why I highlight the material aspect. There is that. You know, we're gonna we're gonna keep it fresh here. We'll, we'll keep it spicy. The appropriate we'll keep it spicy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm actually don't mind me if I if you see me peek over. I'm. Uh, I'm keeping up with this uh, USA Iran match that just started. Uh, was that? Is that soccer? The World, World Cup. World yeah, Cup. yeah, yeah. We got to win. Got to win today, or uh, or we come back without even leaving group stage. Which I don't know. I guess we should be happy we're there. But are you a soccer fan? I played in high school. Um, I don't really care outside of um, World Cup and I guess Olympics. Really, I don't follow it too too closely. You're not watching like Premier League or anything like that. You don't. No, do no, no. I mean, I, I keep up with. You know, I'm familiar with all Ronaldo's recent drama and whatnot. But um, I'm. A, I, I mean, I watch ESPN. So, like, as much as they cover it, is as much as I'm really going to get exposed to it. Um, gotcha. But I know what it's like to run way too much in a 90 minute span. Gotcha. So. It's I got kind of you. Fun to yeah, watch guys do it. Watch somebody else good. doing it. Yeah, exactly. No, that's fair. Um, well, you're kind of an anomaly in a lot of respects, right? Because you were an artist way before you ever joined the military, right? This was something right. that you were almost from the get go. Yeah, I mean, I, I I always um definitely was into um the arts like anything i mean like in elementary school i was i won like talent shows for doing like the jitterbug and like weird things like that um so like there's always been someone to be like hey you're cute now dance for us or something silly like that um whether it was like my older sister and like her friends or um silly talent shows i I, like when i have a twin brother so like there's a there's a bit of a rivalry aspect there um so i mean when we were kids like the we grew up in a small town um st francisville louisiana so like there's really nothing going on um but for some reason we had a town newspaper in 1995 six whatever um and so when that was going on like we were playing like street hockey and stuff like this outside and then this lady that worked for the paper would just like ride around and try to like find us outside and like interview us and ask us what we were up to that day. Like, this is how small this publication wow. is. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and like when I was four, Forrest Gump was my favorite movie. Um, like I was just kind of really into Edward Scissorhands, um, just like things that didn't really make sense for a four year old. Um, and were you so, into sports? Were you, were you a sports kid, even at a young age? Or yeah. Were you um, complete arts so kid? my, my my dad i was i was never really an arts kid outside okay. of like i don't i mean so my dad was an athlete um kind of a uh he's he's a laid back guy but he's definitely like a a man's man kind of kind of dude so he played baseball and so we were kind of expected to to do that as well um my brother was always better than me growing up so it was almost kind of like i had to find some sort of niche that was going to be my thing. So I guess I always turn to like music or um, I think like looking back on it, I kind of feel like I didn't pursue it as heavily as I could have. Like I wasn't in drama in high school or anything like that. Mm. Um, 
there was a moment in middle school where I uh, tried out for cheerleading just to see if I could do it. And then I made it. And then um, like immediately I got, you know, splurs and all kind of stuff. And so like, like a coward, I like quit because I like couldn't take it. What was the um, allure of that? What was the allure of cheerleading? Was it like a dare just to see if you had the cojones so, to do it so and go against that's, type? That's the that's the low hanging fruit, right? Like, um, I think that's like the rumor that got around was that like I just did it on a dare and I was always going to quit or whatever. Uh-huh. But I think like I had a lot of friends um, growing up who were who were girls that like I didn't have any reason to hang out with them other than like to be pursuing them as like a girlfriend, which like I was. I was into girls like very young. Like I always had a little girlfriend that like, yeah, obviously doesn't mean anything at that age, but it was hard to, to have a friendship with a girl and it not be labeled as something or whatever. So I think looking back on it, it was kind of a way for me to spend time with them without having to be committed to like this uh, rumor or what, I don't know, whatever That's kids think no, at that age. That. Um, but you were a sensitive kid because you're getting along with sure. women well. You had a sen- anybody likes Edward Scissorhands at a young age is probably yeah. got a pretty sensitive dude. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I think right? so um, for sure. And you know, I, I could identify with Force. Uh, you know, little love affair with Jenny, uh-huh. um, as simple as he could be. Um, so yeah, I think I think there's always been some element of. Um, and I think like part of it too is the way that I was raised. It was kind of like your behavior will always be satisfactory, right? There's an expectation of you um, in a public setting. I was raised Catholic. So like, I think there's a lot of things that play there that kind of shaped me into who I am, like good or bad. Mm. Um, and I think there's also an element of, of like, you know, how to behave and how not to behave. And I think I just kind of took that and, and made it into my own thing. Did that make you more conformist or did that make you rebel against conformity? Oh, I, I mean, I was, I got a, I got a, I got a technical foul assessed to me in bitty basketball. So I don't know if that, that answers that question. I don't think anybody yeah. had ever been teed up in bitty basketball before, <laughs> but um, I think, and it was, it was after the, if I remember correctly, I mean, I was probably nine or 10 years old, but the, we were down. We weren't good. And uh, team scores a bucket, and they didn't stop the clock. They ran the clock, and the game ended. I wanted the ball back and just to get a shot off. And so they ran clock. I turned to the referee, who's also like my PE coach. And I'm like, hey, Coach Paul, they should have stopped the clock. And he's like, no, game's over. And I spiked the ball in response. And then he teed me up and then brought everyone back onto the floor just to have just the, to the winning shots. team to take the shots. <laughs> they could. He did he did not pull any punches on me. He was like, I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this the right way. Was that was um, that the start of more uh anti-authoritarian behavior, or was that the end of it that crush your soul and, and make no, you go, all right, that's enough? It didn't it didn't crush me. I think the next year I had a coach who um had called me a ball hog to my face um so like and like he and i had like a had to have like a meeting with like someone with like the head of the league to be like hey are you guys gonna work out and that's Damn. Like, 10 years old dude you know holy crap um 
So, anyway, we sucked. You know what I mean? Like it didn't, it didn't matter who had the ball. <laughs> we were, it was like a co-ed thing. And I mean, it's, it's St. Francis of Louisiana. So you got like maybe six kids are worth watching out here. And it's just everyone's parents just hoping for the best. Right. Uh, so wh- where did that lead you then? By the time you were in high school, what were you? Um, were you a jock? Were you I was, no, I, I kind of got away from the arts in high school. I think, um, my freshman year, um, I was pretty heavy into baseball and then I played snare drum, um, in the band. Um, and I'd been doing that since I was like 12. Um, I was pretty good. Um, and so I guess that was kind of my artistic expression at that point. Um, did you think about doing a band, like actually starting a band outside of no, itself. I mean, outside of, outside of like playing rock band, dude, like I'm trash on a, on a kit. Really? Like, I mean, I got to work on my coordination. Cause like, there's like, I can play like quarter beat stuff. Like I can, I can, I can do it like a party trick. I can do enough stuff to make you believe that I can play. But like, as far as playing in a band, it's not really anything that I've ever had. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of hard to put a kit together whenever you're that, unless someone's like, Hey kid, here's a drum set. Right, right. Kind but of you didn't happen. care enough. You didn't care enough to chase it around. You were like, not were really. So, well, it's, and well, whenever I was in, so the our school band is kind of modeled after a HBCU kind of type, like swag band. Gotcha. Um, we're pretty. We're right down the road from Southern, so like straight, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. feeder into those um, kind of programs. I mean, it was pretty serious. Like we had battle of band contests and like all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like it, it, it kept me pretty busy as much as I wanted to be with it really like when we, once we rolled into like parade season and Mardi Gras and stuff like that, um, it would get like, Hey man, when's this going to end? Really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I think outside of that, it got kind of, it wasn't fun. We had a really, um, awesome, uh, director my freshman year, Mr. Taylor. And then he ended up getting a job at like a really big school in Alabama. So he took it. And then the guy who came in and replaced him, I don't know what it was. I think our just like personalities clash and we just didn't really get along to me. It wasn't fun anymore. Whenever he came, like I, I was one of two snare drummers. I was a section leader as a sophomore. And then he, he let the other snare drummer be the drum major, Mm. which is like traditionally you would have one, but if you only have two snare drums, you're probably going to want to hold on to both of them. So because he made that decision, I was kind of like, oh, that's that takes away from my ability to do anything. It, it it makes my left and right limits a lot smaller because now I have to play half notes and like make sure like I'm keeping uh, pace now. So I can't riff. I can't. Got you. And, and these are things that I could be doing. But like he was like, I don't want you to do anything other than like these little half notes and stuff. And I'm like, dude, people are like in the stands to come sit next to us to kind of see me go off on these, you know, little breaks and, and stuff like that. So it made it not fun anymore. So I I didn't come back the next year. So my junior and senior year, I wasn't in band. The band actually just like kind of dissipated. It was probably like, I don't know, 30 people my senior year. Wow. Total. We went from probably like 70, 75 my freshman year down to those numbers. Um, and that's probably a reflection of that kind of, set up whatever his he was a, he was a little bit more of a hardcore guy um so, but yeah so so I, I got away from 
the arts, I guess, in that sense, and then got really heavy into baseball my freshman yeah. year. I mean, I was never, let's just be clear, I was never going to be bigger than 5'10", 175 pounds right. at best. Um, but my freshman year, I had this game, just right place, right time. Um, I had a really good game, and then the Brave Scout came up to my mom after the game and gave her his card and was like, you know, we'll be in touch and everything. And so when that happened, I was like, oh, okay, like stop everything Holy else. Shit. I'm yeah. going to play baseball. Um but I ended up like having some pretty uh, like crappy outings in my like summers of my junior senior years that like didn't really help me at all. But I was also going through a lot of the stuff um, that you'll like see in the doc with my mom mm -hmm. and everything. All of that was going on while I was in high school. So um, I'm dealing with all that stuff while trying to maintain all these expectations. Um, so yeah, you know, like my GPA was crap. Like you can't, you can't play ball anywhere. If you got a, you know, a, a 2.0 GPA and you're, sure. you know, five ten and, you know, throwing 83 miles an hour. It just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're not, you're not at the top were you of the list at that point. Is that what yeah, you were? I pitched. Okay. Yeah. I pitched, I pitched and played outfield. Um, and, uh, yeah. So after that I played, I played like a summer league for, uh, for this like community college nearby and then at that point it was like yeah i don't i don't really want to play here so i just kind of that's whenever i stopped playing i still played like aau ball i think for like the next two summers um but like it wasn't it was just to really have fun it wasn't really in in seriousness but at that time i had already started doing stand-up as well so i was kind of i was i had spent that spring in new orleans and then summer i was back in baton rouge playing baseball uh, and you were going to community college while you when you started stand up yeah yeah i was actually i was at delgado which is in new orleans and it was the the spring semester of 2010 when the saints won the super bowl okay so it was like we go to class and they'd be like hey if we win this weekend we don't have class next week and then we just kept winning and they were like, Oh shit. Like we haven't had class in six weeks. And, and what so, did you, uh, what, how did you feel about, about yourself at this point? I mean, so now did you feel oh, like you'd lost man. an opportunity with baseball? Like, Hey, that dream died. Or did you think it was a natural ebb and flow? And you're like, no, well, I'm on to the I, next thing. Yeah. I think it was a natural ebb and flow. I wasn't okay. too broken up about it. Um, and I was definitely at that point, I knew that I was going to try to pursue something artistic. I just didn't really know what that was going to look like. I'd had like a, I'd had a couple meetings with like these um, pretty small production companies in Baton Rouge, but I don't, none of them really seemed like we had like, like minds creatively or anything like that. So to do what, what did you think you were going to do with them? So they were, they were talking about, well, they were talking about, um, me hosting like this radio show. This is like before mm. podcasting and stuff. Mm -hmm. So they were talking about me hosting a radio show and then, I don't know, maybe developing something else. But the guy was a writer for DreamWorks, I think. Mm. Um, I think he wrote on finding, what is it? Finding them on DreamWorks? I don't remember. I'd be making sure. it up, but, yeah. um, one of those, um, projects that was his you know credential um so and how'd you get in front of them how'd you even 
I think Craigslist, it. dude. I think really? at that time, like Craigslist was still pretty active with like, you know, uh, just listings for different gigs and, and things like that. I mean, that was like pretty what, much. What was the, the gig? What were they, what were they advertising for on Craigslist? Oh, I don't know if I remember like, um, production company seeking talent. <laughs> wow. In Baton Rouge, something like that. Um, so did know. you show I mean, up I with just, like 80 other people or like, oh, oh, I don't it... remember. There weren't that many people. Wow. I remember thinking whenever I was there, like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Gotcha. Yeah. So like along with like what I know, what I remember of what I knew of the guy's background, I remember thinking like, eh. So we'll just keep you, it pushing. Yeah. So did you see stand up as a means to an end or did you just kind of fall into it and not really have any idea what you were doing with it? No, I, I didn't know what I was doing, man. I, um, I say in the doc, like I really was like every week I'd go to an open mic and I was writing a new set for every week. And I thought the guys yeah. who were like, who were, I thought the guys who were repeating material were trash. Like that's how little I knew about any of it. Hey, you're like Richard um, Pryor, man. Pryor used to do that. He brought I, his material after every set. <laughs> It's fucking incredible. Know, you could have been it's, a legend, man. No, dude, that's so irresponsible. I feel like it was. <laughs> so that's that's ultimately what got to me, dude. Was the um, I would like forget a line or forget a joke or something like that, and feeling like I wasn't gonna deliver it again. That shit was like way more bothersome to me than it should have been. Got you. And that's gotcha. what I mean, really, when I say, like, I didn't know what I was doing. Is that, like, I was just struggling, dude, trying to stay up in that environment. So, yeah, it, it got to a point where, like, I'd, I'd be after a show and I'd be, like, super hard on myself. And sure. everybody'd be like, dude, I didn't even notice, you know, that you missed a line or whatever. Right. And, um, but, what like, you, the- couldn't, you couldn't tell me anything. Well, what were the sets like? Was it open mics you were doing? Was it bring up yeah, shows? Yeah, I was doing open. I was doing. Yeah, I was. I was doing open mics, and then I started opening for this one guy at like these weird places. Dude. I mean, we're, we're talking about like sushi restaurants. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and New Orleans comedy, dude, is just like not. It's never been very big. Like right now is as big as it's really ever been. And there's probably, I don't know, there's probably like fifteen to twenty. Uh, comedians like in the city that are like regularly working okay um are there is there like one big room in in new orleans what's the scene like how many oh man not really it's like a bunch of small stuff so like probably um howling wolf is pretty big uh but i mean nothing over probably nothing over 100 seats well that's fair i mean that's yeah yeah, yeah yeah that's not crazy but, yeah. but I mean, they're dedicated stand-up clubs, though, that like people... Not like, really. Oh, no, really? No, no. All of them are two-timing as something else. Really? No shit? Um, like what? Yeah, like, yeah. Like legit theater or like what else? No, they... no. Like a bar. Like like it's... A, oh, really? Like everything, everything is a bar with like a one-foot stage in the corner. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah. were they paying or was it was there no paying gigs? A lot of them, a lot of them are, are split in door. Okay. That's that's basically what you're doing, and then you can you can work that out with whoever you're bringing with you. Um, are, are is the expectation that you're producing your own set that you're going in there striking up your own deal? Like there's no set. Like hey, Thursday nights, this is our booker. They book 15 comics for the night. It's not that. It's like hey, if you want to play here, come in, make us an offer, and we'll cut a deal with you. 
that's been my experience at least Interesting. so there are wow. there are dedicated shows like i mean there are people that are doing shows regularly at these at these different bars and stuff that are using like the same people generally okay um but i don't think it's it's not really it's kind of like you, you go around to the open mics and then somebody kind of snatches you up and says, Hey, I got a show gotcha. in 10 days over here. I need somebody to open for me. Okay. Um, that and, kind of thing. It's, and, it's not really a dedicated, there's no one really running the circuit. Right. Out right. Here. You, you see? Gotcha. Yeah yeah. 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 So what was drawing you to stand up? Why did you start doing stand up? I think, man, I mean, I think it's just the one way medium. Like you can't, you just have to hear me out, you know. And I think some of that has to do with me being a twin. Some mm-hmm. of that has to do with me being, you know, having being parented the way that I was. Like the, you, you know, you don't get to talk back. There's no, it's, you don't get to voice your opinion. It's not a matter of discussion. That that sort of thing. Um, so when I realized, like, hey, there's this medium where, you know, you just go and everybody just kind of has to sit there. Um, I was like, okay. <laughs> also, a little ball hog. There's a little ball hog in that there, too. There's right? a little ball. I mean, look, dude, I've been hamming it up my whole life, and I would just argue that it's not really my fault. Like, I was, I've been like, I've, I've been groomed by like my older sister, her friends, like all, like I, my, my older sisters, one of my older sisters' best friends in high school was first cousins with Britney Spears. Okay. So I always thought, like any day, Brittany, <laughs> Brittany's calling the house, dude. Brittany's calling the house, and and they would get like once every three months, they would get one of their friends to call up my house and prank call and ask for me and say it's Brittany. Every time I'm like, oh, this this could be her, you know. I didn't did, learn. Was there was there a part of you that did kind of? Uh, I'm I'm gonna put this too strong, but like like fetishize the celebrity game like like oh shit there's somebody that's really done something moved the needle in some way in some medium was that something that appealed to you or was that never really in your mind except you know occasionally just like oh yeah she's britney spears cousin or something um i'm not sure what you mean uh no it's all right let me let me let me let me refine it um so let me, I'll, I'll take the scenic route to this question. Um, my thought when I think back to my, my limited time as a standup was yeah. what appealed to me about it was that it was completely entrepreneurial. I okay, was, sure. I, the buck yes. stopped with yes. me totally. Yes. yes. And that yes. was really appealing, but mm-hmm. also I saw it as I didn't aspire to be a celebrity. I aspired right. to be good at my craft, yeah. but, I can also respect that a lot of people did look at stand up and go, Hey, this is the clearest path a to B to become more than what I am and mm-hmm. to kind of get the recognition that I deserve. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of, a lot of comics have that. And mm-hmm. at, the, at the risk of sounding like I'm being self-congratulatory, maybe I didn't have that as much, but, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, there, but that's Cause I think you need to have that. You need, yes, you, yes. you need to have that deep desire for the mm-hmm. eyeballs to be on you. So yeah. I guess that's what I'm asking is, do you feel, and I'm, I'm basing this also on what you said, like 
the ball hog. Sure. You know, you'd also sure, have like real no. promise as a mm-hmm. baseball player, right? Sure. Like you'd have you so you clearly were a talented dude. It was yeah. just a matter of like, were you looking for your medium to break through? Yeah. I mean, I think I think my point I definitely uh identify with what you said about having total control. Like mm-hmm. it is my show. I know what I'm gonna say. Um if I fuck it up, it's on me. Like, honestly, that's what it is. Like, if it's fucked up, it's my fault. I can't be upset with anybody. Like, it's it's on me. I'd rather put myself in that position than, I don't know. Well, I don't know how I would react as a director. Mm. You know what I mean? If If I got, you know, I got to run this team of 20, 30 people. Right. And make sure that this, you know, there there are compromises that are going to be made in those situations right, where right. you can always go back and cherry pick right. something that you didn't like and then just be upset about it. So I definitely that appeals to me in this medium is that it is on me. I have control over it. I can do it if I want to. I don't I can do it this way. I can do it that way. Um, but as far as my like seeking it out or anything like that i think it might be more arrogant than that in that my point is that i can probably do whatever i want and you knew or or i guess let me put this in the form of a question did you know that you could be world-class at something you just had to figure out what the medium was was there that kind of sense I don't know. I don't know about world class, but I know that I have like I have a voice. I have a place. Um, there's enough content out there. There's enough bad content out there that like I was confident that I could piece together a documentary in six days. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and not and not take time and be like, oh, be precious about it or. Mm-hmm. To me, like I hate calling it a documentary. I hate calling it a film. I hate calling it a movie. Like to me, it's it's literally an experience. Like you're going through yeah. a 48 hour window of time, and you're just watching me deal with that shit. Yeah. And so I'm just simply trying to when when the monologue, I'm taking what I have of the one man show, trying to just get it out onto my phone via video only to then dictate it back into Microsoft word so that I could copy and paste it from there and put it into copyright.gov. Gotcha. We, I guess and let's, you, I, I I'm tempted to stick with the timeline, but since you brought it up, let's, let's dive into the movie a little bit. Sure. Um, Cause how can we not? Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about the process how much planning went into filming it because for me watching it, I'll I'll preface this just by saying for me watching it, when you start off by saying, or early on in the movie, when you say "Um, I'm trying to work on my one man show, I was like, Oh wait, so is this not the one man show? But it Mm -hmm. sounds like it is like you put it on film and now you're transposing it back into a live Mm -hmm. performance medium. Right. Right. So how much of that was intended and how much of that was mapped out ahead of time? Yeah. So, um, Originally, like from what you see of the first, uh, the first real shot set up where I'm in the hotel room, anything you see that's a full screen shot was intended for me to be, for me to use in like a B roll manner for like an opening to the one man. 
Okay. So that's what you're seeing. That's what that is original. As I'm creating it in my mind, that's what I'm making. I'm not thinking about making a movie, a documentary, anything like that. I'm thinking this is going to play on a screen at the one man like opening. So you'll be doing a live performance and that'll be on a screen behind you, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that was intended to use for the one man. Gotcha. Um, and then the, the monologue portion, I've, I've, I've performed pieces of it already. Um, and not really much of that is on there. That's just like really act three, um, of what you see in the, in the documentary of, of me and the monologue. That's just coming from act three. And I mean, we can talk about as much of the one man show you want to, and whenever that's relevant, but, um, so then, sorry, I'm getting a phone call. So then, um, so as I'm there and I'm just trying to put everything on copyright.gov and then kind of go further into workshopping some ideas. I'm also performing every night while I'm there. Um, and I'm realizing at that time that it is pulling a lot of my energy to do it. It was hard. Like the, the, the way that this came up was that like, I was trying to write jokes about all these things. And then I just, I kept struggling and kept struggling and kept struggling. And I was like, Oh, it's because none of this shit is funny. You know? So you like intended, so initially you wanted this to be a comedy initially. Yeah. 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 That's a strong move. I 100%. like it. I like yeah. that a lot. That's a great impulse. Um, and then, yeah, as it kept, as everyone kept like, and what, what was frustrating for me throughout that process was that I knew what would make people worry. And I knew what I could do to alleviate that. So I was, I, I just went to my aunt who um, is, is a person that's really close to me and has been for a long time. And I said, Hey, I, I'm going to go work on this. I'm staying at this hotel. This is my room number. I don't want to be bothered by anybody. Like I had just, um, I just left my house and everything. So like everybody's understandably concerned, but what I need at that time is for everyone to trust that I'm not going to hurt myself. I don't have any, you know, ill will or anything like that. I just need space to work on this and like, we'll be good. But that didn't happen. You know, like I, I didn't get that from anybody. No one took that and was understanding of it or anything like that. So the whole time I'm in the hotel trying to work on this, I'm fielding phone calls from cousins, aunts, uncles, my grandmother, my mom. So, uh, you're seeing me kind of go from, all right, like I'm, I'm telling you exactly what I, what I need in this moment that, that you think I'm in this moment of despair. Right. And I'm very clearly asking for something and no one's respecting that. Yet. They're sending me hotlines. They're right. sending me. Right. Uh, all these like veteran resource stuff for like crisis and stuff like that. Right. And it's just at that point, I'm just like, this is so this is such a surface level of concern. It makes me feel like people are more so 
nosy than they are truly concerned about my state of mind or, or whatever their, their thing is. So that's how I kind of go into, and I've always had an, an, a bit of an issue with, I think as veterans, we do a bad job of knocking down that charade of like, we're all trained badasses and like mm-hmm. that. Cause, cause there truly are many of us that are that, that are exactly that. Right. But as soon as like six of them get on TikTok, we all want to be on our chest and pretend like that was our experience. Right. Right. You know, and it's just not the case. Like we all go through shitty things, it, but it's sure. to me and my experience, like I don't when I don't know, I say it in there, like when, when Vietnam vets get spat on when they came back, you know, and as soon as I sign a contract, I'm a hero. That's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. So you're kind of seeing me deal with this moment in my life where like, I don't want to have to answer these questions about my service anymore. I don't want to blame things on my service anymore. I'm so tired of having to relate everything to my service. Just let me be who I've known myself to be and everything will be fine. Let's talk about that because you bring that up at multiple points uh, um, during the film. That mm-hmm. You know, ex- so there were a couple things that you kept coming back. I mean, there are a bunch of things you kept coming back to thematically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you keep saying you you know who you are. Mm-hmm. Who are you in your mind? Um, is it the artist? Is it a comic? Is it uh, what, what do you what do you define that as? What is it that I- you wanted people to understand? I, at the most basic level, I would consider myself a storyteller Mm. and whatever medium I decide to do that in, I am capable. Um, Now, do you feel like, sorry, I just want want to follow that that thread for mm -hmm. one second. Do you feel that people were not giving you the space to be the storyteller or were they not giving you the space to just get away from the labels and the trauma of your veteran status or whatever they wanted to attribute it to. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the second one. I mean, like it's always, you know, like it's the problem is like society paints us all with a broad brush. Right. So once people hear that you were in the service or whatever, like they think they know you. Sure. And it's like, oh, because I had an uncle who was in the Air Force, so I get it. And it's like, okay, but like, I appreciate, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, uh, it sounds kind of like a dick, but like, I'm just tired of having these same conversations that are not stimulating in any way for me. Um, And I think a lot of veterans do want to have those conversations. And I think they should be able to have those conversations if that's what they want to do. And I really don't mind telling my experience to people. Um, but it's like, there, there are a lot of conversations with people that I don't know that I'm not going to get into stuff like, like it's like friends of family or like whatever. It'll always, you get introduced to somebody and they're like, Oh, this one was in the army. Okay. Right. Right. How is that still relevant, dude? Yeah. Um, I mean, well you, but you get why that is though too. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's like, you know, hey, if you were an astronaut and you'd gone to the moon, people are going to say, hey, you know, he was an astronaut and went to the moon. It's like it's that <sighs> rare that people are going to probably glom onto it because it's just an easy told for them yeah, to understand. Yeah. I get that. Right. I, I think I think most of the time, though, it's not with that 
I don't know. It seems, it never seems, it always seems like a disingenuous interaction. Mm. Anytime I have one of those where it's like someone I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, um, or like, like some of the worst things I hear people ask are like, did you ever kill anyone? Mm-hmm. Like things like that. Like whenever I hear people right. say those things, that like, why are we even having these conversations? You see, like that's that, I think that's my issue is that that's how we get down that road is by mm-hmm. having these, these falsehoods that like we're, we're all into all that shit. And like, even those of us who had to do terrible things like that, we're going to be so enamored by it or like, or even in a place to discuss it with somebody who's like has offhand knowledge of, of your mm-hmm. experience is kind of, I think to sum up everyone's service with this broad brush, I think does all sure. of us as individuals, a, I hate saying a disservice, Yeah, you know? Yeah, no, that's um, fair. I think that's kind of my point. And I think I'm really, and I know that like, I know people have good intentions and stuff. And I think I, I try to, I don't know. I do my best in there to try to say, like, I understand the intentions are all good. I think we're all misguided in a way to believe that that's something that we as veterans need from other people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. This is, this dovetails on something that um, I think people who listen to the show are going to roll their eyes because they've heard me say a bunch, but it's uh, part of this is my problem with the word veteran itself. And when I say mm-hmm. I have a problem, that doesn't mean I'm going on a jihad to make everybody stop sure. calling veterans, veterans. Right. Right. Insane. But, um, but I think the term veteran is inherently problematic if for no other reason that it's inherently backward looking. If you call yourself a veteran, it's about what mm-hmm. you did. Sure. So then yes. by nature, you are always going to be anchored to that in some way. And it's sometimes hard to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, you know, just like anything, if you, were abused as a kid and you, and you constantly are like, Hey, I was abused. You're, it's going to be hard to push past Mm -hmm. it. Um, Mm -hmm. that said, sometimes the labels are necessary for good reasons or bad. You want a discount and you go, Hey, I want the veteran discount. Okay. Well then you're going to have to own all the aspects of calling yourself a veteran. Right. See. Yeah. I, I hate veteran discounts. I think, I think if you want to give me a 10% discount, you can kind of go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? Like, well, see, see, I wouldn't say that because I I would say, see, and this is where this is something I talked about on the show with JC Glick a while ago because he wrote a great piece for Havoc about mm-hmm. um about uh don't thank me for my service. Yeah. And and I was like, well, the 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 problem I have is like we're on the standing on the shoulders of that Vietnam era generation, right? So as opposed to being spat at, it's like right. We, we're, we like, are taken care of in a way. We're that we're, we're taking we're taken care of in a way they weren't. And I and yeah. I I will take I will take the um, automatic knee jerk, even insincere. Thank you for your service over somebody going, fuck you fucking baby killer. It's like, Hey, look, just uh, like, that's fine. I, between me and God, I can have a honest conversation about whether or not you're sincere and all that. And I can, I can adjust for how sincere I think you are with saying that, (laughs) but that's a hell of a lot better than everybody going, fuck you fucking fascist. Like to me, I'm like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You're a hundred percent. Well, see, that's kind of the point that I make is that like those guys didn't get that. So let's not pretend that like, we're not doing what they did. We did not sit in the rivers of Ho Chi Minh city. You know what I mean? We didn't dig trenches, you know, we didn't storm beaches. So the idea that we have it so much better than them is a little bit, especially when, when they're still struggling with agent orange, um, you got the, um, the legislature issues going on with the uh, the shit burners, 
Right, and, right. And their their um, rights and benefits and everything. Well, it's like six of one half does the other, though, right? Because then you've got guys that, you know, had 13 deployments. And then, you know, mm-hmm. Vietnam era, it's like, hey, one and done. I mean, right. like, I think there's always, there's always going to be a shit sandwich somewhere. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I don't think that dismisses anybody's service. But no. you're 100% right. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, they definitely did not get taken care of in a way that at least nominally we've been able to right. go, hey, I right. appreciate you ticking the boxes. It may not right. be sincere. It may not be the best thing ever, but it's a shit ton better than what it was. And that's sure. Something. Sure. I get that. And I don't want anyone to misunderstand me when I speak that way in that there are truly some bad motherfuckers who have been overseas way more times than they should have been, um, who 100% deserve, you know, to have their feet washed whenever they get home. But (laughs) that's like, we're talking about, we're talking about a hundred guys. Well, nobody thinks that's them. Every, every, no, it doesn't matter who you are. Everybody goes, Oh, that's not me. There was, uh, there was 80 guys better than me. Like, you know, it's like, and that's, I think, that that um, a good, healthy modesty that everybody should have about their service, which sure. I think is fair. Let's talk about that, though. Um, so, I because I did skip over that part of the timeline, and I just want to make sure we fill in the picture. So, sure. when you're a comic, how do you get to the end? Wh- when does the decision point come to actually join the Army? What drives you to join the Army? Um, I So, I had ended up, uh, shoot... I'm in Baton Rouge. I've got a, is he two yet? Maybe two year old at the time. And my day job is selling cars. It is not going well. Um, and so that was basically, it, it was a pragmatic decision. Um, one that I think most people end up in the service with. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, I've I've told story. Everyone wants to hear about why you joined, you know, and it always has to be some grand tale of inspiration or whatever. And I'm not. That's not what we're doing here. Clearly, you understand yeah. that. Yeah. But that's typically how it goes, right? You got to have some story that's different from the actual one that that sounds good, so that people are satisfied with whatever that that answer is. At least in my experience, I think mm. some of that too is kind of what I would like to get away from mm-hmm. as a society. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it really wasn't any more than that. I had so what was I, a guaranteed paycheck and just benefits and all that yeah, that just made too yeah. much sense. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. Did you did you think were you did you think you were going to leverage the GI Bill? Did you have plans to go back to college, or do you yeah. think this was going to be a yeah, career? Yeah, so I I actually. Um, Oh man, I mean, I think I went through the gambit, you know, as far as what I thought the service was going to do, you know, you, and basic, I mean, this is gross, but like it was, it went well, you know what I mean? Like I was, I was a platoon guide in basic, I was an honor grad, um, did well at AIT. Um, so it was at that time, it's like, yeah, I'm going to do 30 years, you know, you can't stop. (laughs) Um, but you don't know any better. So then, uh, then I went to Bragg from there, and then I ended up. Well, no, I go to Defense Language Institute, learn Arabic, um, out there, which was the hardest thing I'm ever going to have to do. Um, and at that point, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to do something with the language for sure." That opens up, you know, several yeah. opportunities. Yeah. Um, 
unfortunately, there's no guarantee that that's going to open up any kind of opportunities. So a lot of people just go to these schools and then don't use any of the training whatsoever. Sure. That was kind of my experience. I had a, I had a, what do they call it? A refresher training on, on the language while I was at Bragg one time. And that was pretty much it. So I went out there. Yeah. Like didn't. And that's another issue that I have. Like, I mean, I got issues. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and this happens a lot, dude. Like the amount of schools that just like an intelligence professional can go through, like throughout their career and pipeline that they're not really using or utilizing at all is insane. And no one's really, I don't think anybody's taking that into account. Um, so, uh, yeah, I went out there, I did that. Um, went to jump school, went to brag. And then, uh, were you in the soft world? Were you a soft support guy? Were you 80 seconds? No, I tried, I tried to go soft. So originally, uh, that's what, how I ended up going to jump school was because I originally got orders to, um, five, two, five, which is a, uh, uh, expeditionary military intelligence brigade. They don't jump. Um, so I was like, okay, if I get, if I go to jump school, then they'll have to change my orders to either go to 82nd, but I was trying to go to get attached to third group. Um, and I was actually really trying to go to 10th group because I had a buddy who's in 10th group who didn't go to DLI, who had already been out there for like a year now. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was attached to 10th group and, uh, and they were gonna request for me to go up there. And then they were like, wait, dude, we can't, we can't put this in for a fucking specialist. <laughs> so, uh, so that didn't happen. And then my orders didn't get changed. So I ended up going to five, two, five. Uh, I got wings on. Everybody's like, why the fuck are you here? I'm like, I don't know, bud. I wish I wasn't here. Also, we were doing like motor pool Monday, like everybody else. And, um, then what's crazy, you know, what? let's, let's talk about this. My first week, at 525 dude they came up to me and said hey we just lost a guy who um committed suicide in the unit and we're having his memorial service at the end of the week whenever i had reported to the unit you're going to be part of the roll call okay all right no problem if you spend more any kind of time in the service you're going to go to these you know what i mean like sure. you, you can't you can't duck them unfortunately Oh, so not only am I on the roll call, I'm last, dude. So for people who don't know, in a memorial service, the first sergeant does a simulated roll call in which they call on a few people who are actually there in the in the crowd. They report here, first sergeant. At the end, whoever the person is that has passed, they call their name um, by rank, last name, and then they go through their entire name like over and over again. It's like, I don't remember how many times it is. And then it goes into the 21 gun salute and taps and all that. So they're like, welcome. Here you go. And that kind of, that, that changes your mentality a little bit, you know? And, and, and then also at that time, like, and you know, this is, these are things all having to do with the unit, you know, it's not a separated incident or anything like that. So, um, it's kind of like, welcome to the army. This is what it really is. Um, day to day and not you know when you're training yeah you're you're thinking like you know i'm going to be practically using these skills every right. day and you're right. just not that is right. not the case at all 
so it's just a weird experience to go from that sort of training environment to very high pace, like expectations yeah. are high. Yeah. And then you go to a unit and like nobody gives a shit. Yeah. It's very weird. So I ended up going from five to five over to 18th Airborne Corps um, by accident uh, because my first sergeant misunderstood a tasking. And so she, uh, what happened was they put out a tasking for the secretary of general staff needed, a um, needed some sort of, uh, they told me it was going to be the sergeant major of 18th airborne corps driver. I was going to be the sergeant major of 18th airborne corps driver. And I'm like, yeah. why the fuck is specialist sparks going to be like yeah. E4 mafia till I die? Why, why am I going to be right. the sergeant major of 18th airborne corps driver? So I have to put together a packet and everything, and then I have to go get a DA photo done. I don't know if a lot of people, this is something I had no idea of that this was a thing, but usually you can't get a DA photo taken of yourself unless you're an E6 E6. or above. So I was an E4 and I show up (laughs) and I'm like, bro, I need a DA photo. And he's like, fuck off. (laughs) And I'm like, no, seriously, I have to submit a DA photo with my packet. And they're like, no you're an E4 and I'm like, look, I get it, bro. But this is like an order from the Sergeant major of the 18th Airborne Corps stating that I need a DA photo. So I have a DA photo of specialist sparks that I think should be worth some kind of money. <laughs> um, so I go into the interview and they're like, uh, so how'd you hear about the job? I'm like, buddy, I don't even know what this is. Be real honest with you am I going to be the Sergeant Major's driver? And he was like, no, this is for the secretary of general staff. You're going to like do clerical work basically for the general staff. And I was like, okay. And they're like, wow, it's really impressive that you speak Arabic. I don't even know Spanish. And I'm like, dude, I don't know Spanish either. So I don't, you know, and he's, and this guy just, I don't know. He thought I was kind of funny. And he was like, uh, He's like, well, shit, man. I think we'd like to work with you if you don't, if you don't mind come switching, doing an interpost transfer. I was like, all right, cool. And so that I and so what happened was my first sergeant only submitted me because she thought that because the 18th Airborne Corps was an airborne unit, that whoever got sent for the tasking had to be, had to be an airborne, airborne soldier. So she puts at the top of my packet, dude, she says, Specialist Sparks is the only individual in all of the 525 Military (laughs) Intelligence Brigade that is capable of filling this slot. And they thought I was hot shit, dude. Oh, my God. And they just misunderstood. Everyone misunderstood what was being said, got lost in translation, and I got a job I wasn't supposed to have. How did it work out? Did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah, it was fun. I mean, like, it was crazy because you're doing things that like specialists shouldn't really be doing. So I'm having to keep up like with the Rolodex of all the generals at 18th Airborne Corps. So we got a full bird on the wing, uh, a one star, two star and three star. Primarily I work for the chief of staff who was at the time, Brigadier General uh, Xavier Brunson. I think he's at, where is he? I don't know. Anyway. So that's who I'm, He's I'm under his umbrella, but I'm basically if any of the other ones assign me with something, then that's my job too. Right. So there's like three, four of us little henchmen working in this back office in a basement. 
um so it's it's a skiff like the whole building's a skiff obviously um and i'm having to call other uh commanding officers under the 18th airborne corps echelon and confirming that their cell phone numbers are still their cell phone numbers and weird shit like that so i'm like hey colonel watson this is specialist sparks with the 18th airborne corps and i'm just calling to see if this is still your fucking phone number and he'll be like yeah it is leave me alone guy and hang up and it's like yeah i get it I, I wouldn't want to but that was basically my job and then also anything that like the chief of staff had to sign like a memo that any of the, mm. the staff sections were putting up had to come through me to be proofread and to make sure that their signature blocks were correct and if they weren't it was easier to just be like hey dude send me that on digits so that i can unfuck your shit and get this signed instead of us going back and forth over six different grammatical errors it was really like one of those like yeah. tedious attention to detail kind of totally posts. i mean how did you but feel it, about it did you were did you enjoy it or were you bored or were I you felt, satisfied I, I felt like i had more purpose there mm. than i did at the mi brigade because there you're just kind of floating around like waiting for somebody to tell you to go cut the grass or mm. and and best part about it dude we had we had big boy rules. So we're just doing PT on our own and shit. Yeah. I'm going, I'm, I'm working a nine to five out there, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So we had our, we had a fucking barber in the building, dude. This yeah. OG he had every commanding general from 18th Airborne Corps from like Vietnam era on, on his fucking wall. <laughs> One of the coolest places you'll get your haircut. Uh, that's pretty cool. So yeah. at that point, now, how do you feel about a career? Are you thinking that you're going to do this? For 20 years um, now, you're the, the endorphin rush of AIT is over and you're seeing what the real army's like, or are you getting no, sick of it? No, I was, I was pretty much sick of it at that point. And then also I had had a jump at that point that, um, I didn't know at the time it fucked me up real bad. So I, I, I came out, my shoe was twisted. Um, and I went, when I went to pick my head up to check my suspension lines and my fucking, uh, canopy and, and riser and whatnot. I like couldn't even get my head up all the way because they were twisted so far down. Oh it's, yeah, it's a common malfunction, and right. like you train on it before every jump and everything. But um, so what you do is you you pull them apart above your head and then start kicking your feet, and then eventually right. you like spin yourself out of the twist. Um, or you also have a reserve in which you could throw. But when you throw your reserve and now you have both parachutes out, you lose mobility. Right. You can't, you can't really pull slips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I didn't throw my reserves because I don't know why that was like a concern on my uh-huh. mind. But I was like, I don't, I don't want to find myself like someone catching my or taking my air or some shit. And then like uh-huh. with two shoots, like, I don't know. Was this just like a, a C-130 mass tag? Yeah, was this yeah, C-130 yeah, mass tag? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like third out the door. So like there's okay. no one around, yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously. So like I'm not compared, like, it, you know, if I'm comparing my rate of descent, like there's. I'm just seeing sure. nobody. And it was an 800 um, foot, 800 foot jump probably, right? 25, so, 2,500, some 20, 2,000 to 25, I think. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you have um, a little bit of time. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So basically okay. I had just enough time to fool myself into believing that I could fight this shit out and everything yeah, yeah. would be fine. Yeah. So, uh, so I finally get it out and I'm burning in, but I don't realize it. 
And then we get, I get to the tree line and I'm like, Oh fuck, here we go. Like prepare yeah, to land. So right. basically because my parachute landing form is impeccable, like I just fucking ate shit, didn't break anything like major, um, got knocked the fuck out. Um, Did you, you lost consciousness? Yeah. 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 But yeah. I mean, I, at that, I was 25, dude, you couldn't tell me shit. Right. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I just got up check like i knew i was fucked up like i had this adrenaline rush that like i could never verbalize what it felt like um and i'm like something's wrong with me dude but i'm like my my arms are fine my legs are fine like i can pack my shit yeah. like i should get the fuck so that's what i did and then like eight months down the road dude i i couldn't I, I couldn't run like half a mile and then one day we're at pt i think we were doing pull-ups and i came down off the bar and when I came down and impacted with the when my feet hit the ground, like just my legs gave out completely. And, uh, and I was like, well, I think my back's probably fucked up. Wow. And so uh, I finally, I got to the point where I was like, well, I'm, I either got to go to the doctor or I'm not going to pass the PT test. And so um, I go to the doctor. They, uh, they do all the imaging and, and stuff. And then they come back uh, like, L1 through 5 is just fucking shit. Um, fractured the... I got scar tissue from fracturing the facet joint at L5-S1. Mm. And now I, now I have like... Um, it's considered moderate paralysis in my right leg. I think that's a little bit of an over-exaggeration. Um, but like I'm definitely feeling that shit. And I had a traumatic brain injury, obviously. Um but at tw I don't know how I didn't realize this at the time, but I was just thinking like, of course I'm tired, you know? Yeah, right. Um, right. I was having vertigo episodes like every day, fuck. like crazy dude. And I didn't know what the fuck that was at all. I didn't know how to like verbalize that it was happening. Yeah. I, I wasn't, I wasn't like equating it or like relating it to the jump at all. Um, it wasn't really until I saw a doctor and they're like, okay, well, what else is going on? And then they're like, well, well, fuck dude. Yeah. So, uh, so I ended up, uh, getting medically retired, fuck. uh, while I was, while I was with 18th Airborne Corps. Um, and they tried to do like, I had a bunch of nerve ablations done, mm. um, epidural injections, like straight into my disc and stuff to try to like yeah. just relieve the pain and whatnot, just to get me through that first stint of service and whatnot. But Everything, like the nerve ablations, never really go the way you want them to. Right, right. It seemed to really irritate everything every time I had a needle stuck into me. So it just kind of got to a point where they were like, you can, they offer you like, now they have these like, uh, they're not wounded warrior, but they're, they're, they're basically like these warrior project units now yeah, where you right. can like do, serve out your, your right. I was going to say your Senate, serve out your, uh, yeah your contract like in a right. administrative role over there or whatever. But I was just like, no, yeah. if I can't, if I can't do this or I was in human intelligence collection um, or that, then like dude, I got no business. Yeah. How did there. you, how did you feel now at that point? I mean, that's a pretty big, so you, you, you're getting out before your first contract even, right? Yeah. 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 So now it's like, fuck a whole nother gear change after yeah. you just made a big move into the military. I mean, where was your head at? What did you, how did you feel? Were you, could you I see thought, an upside or were you? Totally yeah, I thought out? I was, I thought I was fine, dude. I was like, I'm just gonna, 
Yeah. I'm just going to go back. I really thought I was just going to go back into the arts. You know what I mean? I was just like, fuck it, dude. I'll just, I'll, I'll go back to school. I'll start doing stand up again. Like maybe this is the, you know, the opportunity that I wasn't going to give myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I kind of went that way about it. Um, and then I got into Loyola university down here in new Orleans. So I was like, I'm just going to go there, um, for political science. Cause like a bunch of my, Arabic and intelligence studies like transferred over mm. there. I think it like made me a junior instantly. Wow. Um, yeah. So I was like, that's, that's cool. That'll work. Yeah. Um, got there, dude, and just struggled. Like, was realizing, like, oh, this is anxiety. Oh, this is depression. Wow. Oh, this is like, um, you know, waking up, night sweats, that whole shit. Like, I'm having. I'm having weird dreams about, you know, like having to jump again and like mm. shit, like just being in situations where like, it's not, it's not like I'm having, I'm not having a nightmare, you know what I mean? But it's like, yeah. I'm having yeah. these dreams where like, there's a possibility that I'd have to jump again. Like I know what, like, and after I jumped another time after I jumped the next day after that one, it just happened to go really fucking well. So, um, but that one my last jump, I was like, fucking, you know, my knees were knocking. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah, ever sure. want to. Yeah. So. Cause you'd already um, seen the doctor at that point. Right. Cause you already knew you gotten fucked up on that earlier jump or had you not gotten. No, no, yet? no, 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 okay. I didn't. No, okay. I didn't know anything at that point. Wow. Oh, Cause um, it was just nerves from the last jump. Yeah. 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 I knew I fucking smoked the ground. That's right, what I was worried right, about. Right. More than anything. I was like, I don't sure. want to fucking hit like that again, dude. Sure. 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 Um, and luckily I didn't. Um, so, I mean, I yeah. know you say in the movie, you're like, hey, this, whatever, you know, the PTS, the depression, that shit isn't about my service. I've had that from before the service. Mm -hmm. But do you think, do you think it exacerbated existing conditions or do you think there are new issues that it created despite, besides the physical stuff, obviously? Sure, sure. I think typically that's what everyone kind of experiences i think that's the point that i'm trying to make in the yeah. film is that we are kind of carrying a residual load whether it be from our own you know hereditary shit or like you know sure. generational trauma that you know we now know through psychological sciences that you know that shit travels um so i think that's kind of the point that i'm trying to make is that whether i was gonna i was gonna deal with these things with or without the service mm -hmm. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of people. It's just what else, what extra are you taking on in going sure. into the service? But I think that's also, I mean, to me, I would, I would also argue. But I am fucked up from the service. Don't get me wrong. Right, right, right. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, because, yeah. Because, because I'm not I mean, denying that. I, I think the word yeah. you use, um, in, the phrase you use in the movie was like default trauma or something. Like sure. where it's like, hey, this is just what you're carrying around. I, I just think that's adulting. It's like you live long enough, you're going to have enough fucking trauma just walking around the planet anyway. Sure. But yeah. Th but definitely it's funny. Um, you know, I talked about this, I think, before on the show, but it's like, it doesn't matter what anybody did in the service. Mm -hmm. I've yet to talk to somebody who didn't have a high volume of significant emotional events from serving. It's right. just, it's, it, it is an extra load and it's an extra mm -hmm. load on top of just being, you know, a human being on the planet, mm -hmm. which there sure. is a degree of trauma anyway, but it definitely, mm -hmm. there is, there is a, a, a bit more, um, to it. How did you feel that you adjusted 
then coming back, did you immediately start jumping? Was the VA up your ass on medications? Was it something no. where, okay. So what was going on with your care? So as far as that went, I like basically had none. So like I knew what my diagnosis were physically. Okay. Um, I knew that there was nothing else outside of surgery that they were really going to do. Yeah. Um, did they so do surgery? Like, did you no, get surgery? no, no, I, I've, I'm not at the time I was 25, I'm 31 now. Um, it's still like, unless I'm so demobilized by it that I want to have multiple, because that's the thing you have one back surgery, like you're just going to keep having back surgery totally. until you die. So but what have, you, start have you done PT? Really. Did you do PT yeah, or I've anything? Done PT, I've done PT. Um, I've done chiropractic work. Now what I do mostly is cranial sacral manipulation therapy. I don't mm -hmm. know if you ever heard of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that to be really helpful just like emotionally too. Cause a lot of it is emotional shit that like we're carrying, um, totally. physically. Um, did you so ever try, can, did you try Bikram yoga? No, I mean, I do, I do. Um, I mean, I stretch my ass off. I'm a pretty flexible guy, but I'm not like in any yoga routine you, per so se. Bikram yoga. If you get a chance, the problem with Bikram is he, Sure. So nobody teaches oh. like straight Bikram yoga anymore. Mm -hmm. But if you can find somebody that does like his actual well, we twenty five, rename and two, it. Yeah, I know. Seriously, it's like <laughs> dude, just rebrand it, man. Because the stuff actually really works. So his thing was he was a weightlifter, and he okay. smashed both of his knees. Okay. But he founded this form of hot yoga, which is twenty five very strict poses in okay. five degree heat, and he actually regained complete mobility. And my wife was a Bikram yoga teacher, and she. uh she saw people heal from car crashes, oh, cool. heroin addiction, all kinds of shit, both emotional, mental, and physical stuff, just because, you know, that stuff. And yeah. I know for me, that helped my back. My back cool. got completely healed. So I, I always offer that to people because I'm like, that's something I can vouch for. I'm like, dude, that shit fucking works, man. I like I like the way that sounds because I think my issue with yoga so far has been that it is like so free flowing and like no, there's no yeah. structure really depending yeah. on like who you got and like what session you land on on YouTube, yeah. like whatever, however you do it. But I do like the idea of there being some sort of regiment to it. Yeah. If you find somebody, that out. The, the, well, the way they phrase it now, since they can't call it Bikram is you got to look for somebody that does hot yoga with the, sure. they call it the 25 and two. So if you okay. see somebody says 25 and two, that means the 25 that's poses Bikram and that's poses. basically Bikram. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's like the coded language now for it. But yeah, that shit fucking, I, I swear by it. I'm like, I'll check I, do, it I do just a little bit. I do 15 minutes of it every day and it like significantly, like, okay. I don't even need to see the chiropractor anymore. Right? Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so anyway, that's my little plug for I'm Bikram for yoga. So, yeah. <laughs> what that's worth. Um, let's, let's talk about the movie though, because I, I do want to, um, Sure. You know, dive into into some of the nuts and bolts of it. You shot it in six days. Is I shot what? it in or two, or was it like, the, just the two days? Yeah, I shot it in two days, and then you and edited it was, over six days. I mean, really, I edited it. I really worked on the. I did the trailer first. I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but uh -huh. it's really just the first section. And I'm my point with the trailer is like, yo, you should be my my intent is to put out a concerning ass trailer. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, I did that the, the night before, maybe the night before I went into my psychiatry appointment. Cause I wow. knew at that, like they, I was already annoyed. I was frustrated at that point by how many calls I had received both from people and my psychiatrist throughout the day, as I'm trying to ask everyone to leave me alone. 
Um, so my, me being shitty and a ball hog and a uh, loud mouth, <laughs> I was like, all right, if you guys want to be concerned, let's, let's give you some material to be concerned about. Also, all those medications you see are 100% prescribed to me. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. There's that's a lot too of many fucking, fucking meds, medicine, man. dude. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? And that's my point. That's why I'm upset too, is because no one's talking about that. No one's saying, hey, we think we fucked your medicine up. We think we got you on too much shit. It was, hey, your behavior isn't, right. you know, right. like, and it's like, Ugh. so yeah, yeah. I did the trailer the like while I was there. I was still in the hotel when I put the trailer out. And then I think the next day I had the material um from the appointment which i kind of knew how so this is where like some of my training comes in right like as a human intelligence collector your job is to be able to dictate interactions to steer them and to try and figure out what the possible outcomes of saying this that or the other are gonna be so i knew i couldn't show anybody's face otherwise that'd be a hipaa violation right i knew in louisiana it's a one-party consent state so as long as i kept the visual on me then no one could do anything about the fact that their audio is on my yeah video did they know you were recording nope oh wow okay um and another thing like i'm i was in there a long time for no one to notice that i'm recording Right. right. So there's skill in that too. And so my, they're all trying to say that I'm out of my mind. And my point is, as I'm making this, I'm making very lucid, um, artistic and both like functional decisions about the way that I'm shooting this and what I'm saying and what I'm repeating from what I've already said in the monologue. Um, and then once the, once, kind of once my psychiatrist started talking to me like I was a fucking child, I was like, okay, if that's what we're going to do, then here we go. Let's, I'll, I'll take that ride with you. When did you make the decision to not have it be a comedy? What made you make that decision? What, what footage did you get? I did. You? So I did, um, well, so the. The doc was always going to be the doc okay. once I made that decision. But the the one man show itself was intended to just be, I was just trying to write stand up. Got you. Um, okay. Around okay. the material involved in the one man show of which a lot of it is what you see in the doc. Got you. Um, that can I'm you, trying to make funny that I can't make funny. Can, because, can I tell you, can I tell you why I'm, asking, I'm saying that? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Because the concept of the film, as I understood it after watching it, was here's a comic who wants two days to do his set and everybody and their mother, or specifically your mother, is sure. calling and not letting you rest and focus and get this stuff done. Right. And then and so then it's just an inherently comedic setup where like mm -hmm. everything's going. And I was and the reason I say that is um I mean, dude, it is a rough watch, as I'm sure you've yeah. heard. It's like, mm -hmm. and which is attractive in its own way. Let me take it back. Effective in its own way. Mm -hmm. It definitely mm -hmm. is jarring. Mm -hmm. Like the first yeah. five minutes, and, I was like, 
what the fuck am I watching, and, man? It's crazy. It's fucking and, insane. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And like, and, and gripping and all that, it does start to beat you down in a way where I was like, man, I wonder if your point could have been more make entertainingly made. Well, maybe more, yeah. more, more oh, entertainingly sure. made in a way 100%. where people go, fuck, like, hey, yes. we could, I, this could be like an early 70s Nicholson. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. let's see somebody, you know, losing their mind going through this, going, I'm just trying to work on my stuff here for two days. Like that to me, I thought, I thought there was, and I never thought that until you said that you were mm-hmm. trying to work on your stuff. Cause in the show, in the, in the doc, when you're talking about doing stand up, I was like, wait, he's a fucking comic. I was mm-hmm. like, God damn, dude. I was like, oh shit. And then you said, oh yeah, I, I was working on my live show as a comedy. I was like, I would love to see that. So this I is am, like a one and done for me. Yeah. Like I saw that. I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah awesome. Sure. But I'm like, yes, yeah. I'm smoked, man. One of, yeah. one of the reviews that were written about it were that it's too real to watch twice. Like, yeah. 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 Can't do it again. Won't do it again. Not trying to do it again. And so that is my intent. Mm-hmm. Like I know for a fact, because I finished, finished it in six days that it can be, made into something way easier to watch. And eventually if here's my thing with it is that like just getting, putting that out there was not difficult, but like the, in dealing with like, I know that I'm putting out material that is worrisome. So like in my personal life, I've had to deal with kind of the fallout of that. So in a way I'm being kind of shitty about not giving any of that relief to anybody because all you really Mm. have to do is like i'm available you know what i mean like i think people who are it it has identified people who care on a very surface level right you're willing to send that little one shot hey it looks like you're struggling a bit but like that's it you know so i think i think eventually i'd like to get with either a producer or a director or somebody that could, that could um, like the way I want to see it fully formed out is with like interviews throughout of different veterans, like maybe as they're, as they're watching it or maybe doing like a commentary um, with it. But right now I'm just kind of like, it's out there. It, It artistically, that's what I want. How do you feel? Um, How do you feel with the reaction it's gotten? How do you feel with it? Do you look at it and there are the things you would like to have changed or yeah. go, ah, I should have done this differently? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, there are some things that, so there are a lot of things in there that I didn't want to have said multiple times. Mm. Um, but I didn't want to cut too much out of it because I thought it would come off as disingenuine if you're seeing just a bunch of spliced of one monologue. Oh, I see. You see what I mean? So I'm really riffing at that point. I'm not reading from anything. I know yeah. what I've performed from the show. Like you're really seeing me go into this and let's make no mistake about it. I'm fucking bipolar, dude. So you're seeing me in a manic state. Still my 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 point is that like, I don't, again, it's like, it's got to do with the labeling, right? I don't want to be labeled as a veteran and I don't want a diagnosis of bipolar to be setting up the stage for interactions with me or anything like that. Like I'm, I'm more than capable of accomplishing what I want to accomplish. 
And it feels like since I've gotten the diagnosis, everyone wants to just like talk about that. Oh, well, I think, you know, have you like, have you taken your medicine today? Like it's, it's all these things that are coming from a place of concern. I'm just like, fuck, man, I don't want to talk about me being bipolar anymore. And it's funny. Cause like, I, I just gave a keynote speech at a university, a local university over here for veterans day. And I was telling their, uh, their vets organization, um, what do you call him? Director. Like I made a movie about how to like, I want to get away from it. And now like, I'm just yeah. kind of talking about it more than right. More than I ever have. So I kind of, I kind of shit the bed in that. <laughs> um, I've gotten enough good feedback from like all my veteran buddies, veterans that I have never met before that have been kind enough to sit down and watch and give me feedback. Um, I watched it with a homeless dude in Starbucks one day. He fucking cried. I, that was before I ever put it out. Um, it was still on iMovie. I didn't put it on YouTube or anything like that. I sat down with this dude at Starbucks. I was like, hey, if you got time, like I'll I'll get you a coffee, whatever you want. If you want to just sit and watch this with me and like tell me what you think. And um, just like seeing his reaction, I was like, okay, like it's something. Um, so I didn't at that point want to make it so cute that it took away from the message. Um, yeah. And then I, I think overall, like a lot of us veterans are just simply misunderstood because of the societal norms that we place on all of us as a whole because of history, like all that stuff. Like I get it. I get it a hundred percent, but we're all bigger than that. We've got stories bigger than that. At the same time, a lot of us have been through shit that like you can't just zap away. Right. You know, um, so I'm to trying me, to find that balance. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's I could definitely see that. I'll tell you, um, I have a really bad habit. I've realized, I don't know, it's it's cropped up more the last couple of months where like after I'm done talking to somebody, I'm like, hey, I really should have said this when we were on air and had this discussion <laughs> instead of editorializing after the fact when they're not yeah. able to talk about oh. it. So I want but so I, I was like, let me make sure I say this because I I the movie, um, I mean, it can't help but move you. It can't help but make you think. It can't help but there's a lot of things that just right off the bat, like you know it's going to be a movie you're not going to forget. There's no two ways about it. What, as I'm putting my my veteran or emotional self aside, creatively, I thought there was a tension between the two themes. One is that you are consistently making a global point. You're mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, don't you know? Uh, you know, don't paint the veteran community with a broad brush. Hey, this is what we as veterans need, and all this." But then on the micro level, really, you're saying, "Hhey, I just want two days in a room to mm-hmm. tell, to do this work." Right. I thought the I thought the latter is the stronger story, and I mm-hmm. thought it because it's so personal and unique to you. And because I don't, and and like talking here today, like I don't see you as somebody that's trying to make, um, you know, you're not making stump speeches. You're not running mm-hmm. for office. You're not going, hey, this, you know, and this is the law that we need that will cover X, Y, right. Z, right? Right, right. And it was like, instead, it's a, it's like you say in the movie, it's a cry for help. It's a creed of core. Mm-hmm. It's a, and I, and I thought. That to me is the real thing is that mm-hmm. this is a very personal story about 
folks around you and the way they're treating mm-hmm. you and what you're sure. and, and how that uh, runs into what you're trying to accomplish. And that's what, and then when, during the course of it, when you talked about comedy briefly, and I was like, wait, what? I like sat mm-hmm. up. I was like, what did you just say? Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, yeah, that. And then when you said that earlier in the show, I was like, yeah, that seems to me to be a really strong move because it's actually more universal because it's more, and this is my opinion, but sure. I don't want to editorialize it after the fact. So I'm, I'm just giving you, I'm telling, telling you now so you can rebut and address yeah. as, as you see fit. Yeah, but, that's fine. But for me, I was just like, I think that's a stronger move creatively because it gives us that thing to glom onto. And then we get the second and third order effects of that mm-hmm. where we go, hey, the system's kind of messed up or why is that they're going through that? But we get it because we're following just you without mm-hmm. the pontification of, mm-hmm. hey, what's wrong with the system? Does that kind sure. of make sense? Yes, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. So I was also... um kind of like I joke now that the documentary is only an 84 minute trailer for the one man show. <laughs> That's great. It's just a really long too. fucking trailer. That works too. So, yeah. so all of that, I'm hoping to invoke that to pique that interest. You know what I mean? To say yeah, like, yeah. all right, where is that? Yeah. Because you're going to get it in the one man show. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, That's cool. And with with the reason why I am kind of getting into those global points is because that is going to carry into like act one is going to be very the the expectancy of the veteran, you know, like what you're expected to be after your service, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to highlight mm-hmm. that's how I'm going to go about that. Um, act two, I go into more personal stuff, things that happened before the service and everything that are that are going to carry that weight throughout my service and up until now and all that um act three um we go into a little bit more updated i do some jokes i give everybody that kind of relief that you're looking for throughout um and then i'm gonna like do some stuff musically with it um as well and that's why i have me just kind of fucking around on snare yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you're just seeing that i can do that you don't know why you're really seeing it. I mean, really, like I've made the point that like that's what I that's what I do. Like I've I've like I'm stressed. I'm clearly stressed out in those circumstances, right? Yeah. Like I'm just trying yeah. to work through some shit, right? So you're just kind of seeing me fuck around on a pad for a little while, um, but it's also gonna set up like I have like some cadences worked out that I'm gonna like work into the show and stuff. So um, it's gonna kind of come back and bring everything gotcha. full circle. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm excited. What, I'm just what, trying to. That's freaking dope. When are you playing? When do you estimate that you'll be able to get the one man show up and functional? Oh man, I have no idea. So I have a lot of stuff obviously going on, like personally that I have to like settle um, before I can really like go head first into that. Um, I think I'm gonna go back to school in January for journalism. Um, try to finish my degree. And then uh, I think probably, I think by the summer, I'm going to try to have at least like one spot where I can um, at the minimum get a bare bones, you know, show going. I got a lot of prop, um, you know, stage design stuff Mm -hmm. to work out that like, uh, I don't really, I got to, I got to make all those contacts and and do the logistical things, you know, um, that, you know, creators love to do. 
Uh, are you working out? Are you working out a lot of the live performance on stand-up stages now, or on, yeah, so where are you? I'm not, where are you working it out? Where are you working yeah, out the material? So I, I was, yeah, I was um, working it out at um, all these open mics that are traditionally stand-up. So oh. like, I'd have to get up. I get up on stage and I say, "Hey, I'm working on a one-man show. It's not fucking funny." Um, <laughs> and that's the reaction I get yeah, every time. I bet. I and, bet. Uh, and so uh, I'm like, I just, however much time that mic happens to be, I say, I appreciate it. if you give me the next, you know, four, five, nine, 10 minutes, whatever, um, just to pay attention and let me work through my shit. And I appreciate it. And then I go into dialogue. Um, and then, like, honestly, the feedback I got immediately was just over when you can see, like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to go about, you know, I'm just at that point. I'm, you're seeing me react to how well it's being received, like in real time. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what yeah. to do with myself, really. I don't know how to, like, I'm trying to figure out how to, how do I make this more real? Like, I have to finish it. I have to organize it. Like, none of this, like, people are asking me questions about, like, a finished ass product, and that's not what I have at all. Um, and it's really the first thing that I, I mean, I've been writing for years, dude. And, like, it's the first thing that I've ever thought of written or anything that like wasn't this let me sit down and force out this script or whatever you know like it just i had no choice really in in how it came to me and how like i tried to do it my own way in trying to you know write jokes and shit yeah and i really i couldn't I couldn't, I, maybe it's just that I couldn't give a genuine performance if I were to make it funny because I'm realizing as an individual that like, I'm still dealing with it. And so like, maybe the reason I like, I don't think it's funny is because I'm still dealing with it. So like for me to get up on stage and make fun of it felt disingenuine at the time. And so I was like, well, let me pivot and see if I can make enough points. I mean, uh, look, it's your, it's your, total, no, totally. I mean, this is me. I'm playing armchair producer here for no good mm-hmm. reason, except that mm-hmm. I'm a fan. I like the movie and it was, it, it got my, my wheels turning, but I was like, you know, let um, me make this the, clear. I need help, dude. <laughs> I, like I am. Listen, I'm, I, that's, that's where I'm at. Is that like, I'm so done with trying to do this on my own. Like it's by rough. Myself, yeah. Like, Oh dude. Well, man shows no joke. So the yeah. first thought that comes to me is the Mel Brooks fought in the battle of the bulge, you know? He was right. an army combat engineer. He saw that he fought in the Battle of the Bulge. There's a, it might be apocryphal story, but he was also one of the first that got into Auschwitz or, or one of the camps and helped liberate oh, wow. there and all that. Mm-hmm. Yet he never wrote about that. Instead, he wrote the producers. And if he had been the guy that had written a No Shit There I Was story, it would have been good, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be one of many. And it mm-hmm. probably, and he would not have been Mel Brooks. Right. You can't I, get away from it. You, yeah. can't, you can't get away from it. And, and, and on top of it, it's, um, it doesn't lead to other stuff necessarily. It exhausts that right. story. Yeah, you're done. You're done. It's a one and done thing. The mm-hmm. only reason I say this is like, if you were somebody else sitting there, I might feel differently, but the fact that you've been in stand up and that you've been working the comedy angle for so long. I if I if I were to armchair producer this from the comfort of sitting on my ass right here, where it's the easiest place to armchair produce anything, sure. um, I would say I would say, dude, I would love to see what would happen if it did become a comedy, not because you're trying to make fun of it, 
but because that might be the most effective vehicle for, oh, for sure. getting some yeah. of the some of the the emotion out. And I would just love to see what that would look like. Um, I just think there's a there's a lot there. It's such a rich subject matter. And honestly, there are movies um, that and, and I maybe I'm seeing more of this now because doing the show and I, I see stuff come out. I feel like I'm seeing more people. They haven't done anything. I haven't seen anything as that goes as far down the rabbit hole as you did with it. Mm-hmm. But I've definitely seen stuff like it. Themes, where, yeah, yeah. The themes are there, themes, especially now. And, especially now, and with the twenty-two a day, good, yeah, dude. yeah. And, yeah. and it's a lot of stuff. But but I think that's where it's one of those. Look, Mel Brooks could have written yet another "No Shit There I Was" story from World War II, but it's mm-hmm. like, what's actually going to be more enduring? What's actually going to? Yeah, and I don't know. And that that's as I say, it's easy for me to yeah. sit here and say it, and so, it's your life and it's your story. So yeah. you know how you want to do it. But so that was my I thought. Did, I just did an hour in Baton Rouge uh, earlier this month, and that's basically what I did. Was I took what I could do funny, um, and I did an hour of stand up um, from the from the one man. Really, and so uh, yeah, in an effort to make it easier on myself to perform it so that one like i i can kind of give two different performances if i want to i want to be able to make it intense when i want to make it intense and i want to be able to give that comic relief Mm -hmm. for myself if not for anybody else Mm because i know if i get to a point where i'm performing it regularly that's gonna that's gonna eat it like i can't give that kind of shit every day so um i am trying to work on it to uh, to get it to a point where there is there's going to be comedy sprinkled throughout um and i think even if i'm not trying to be funny i think um some things just are inherently goofy about service um and i'll tell you something and this is again very much from my own bias but as somebody that reads i think i've read 800 veteran authored plays this year mm-hmm. and so few of them are comedies yeah. Okay. And, and now admittedly, they're not, most of them are not war stories or many of them are not war stories. Many of them have to do with veteran subject matter. Although it's not always, it's, you know, it, there's a lot of derivations of that. So it's not a, mm. a apples to apples comparison, but sure. <clears throat> there, but what I notice is the veteran community is really bad at taking at not taking itself seriously. Right. Which, and and what I mean by that is not that you don't obviously you have to take the stake seriously, but the medium. What's the medium through which you deliver that? And I think we've gotten used to the Blackhawk Downs and the sure. other stuff where it's like, hey, the glory, the beauty of this story is going to be in the gut wrenching way that it's told, as opposed to this next evolution, especially coming out of the GWAT years, where we have guys with so many other artistic mm-hmm. tools at their at their uh, command. Where I'm sure. like, hey, there's other weapons in your toolbox you can use yeah. to tell this. And it's like that to me. And I get this all the time at Vet Rep where people come and they're like, I was really scared to come here because I thought it was going to be guys popping out of, you know, uh, you know, rice uh, oh, uh, yeah, poppy yeah, fields yeah. and all that shit. Yeah, yeah. I was like, dude, Goofy well, I mean, stuff. like if there's that story, fine. But yeah, no, that's not necessarily like what we're trying to do. Right. And, and that's all I say. Only because you have the comedic training and the, the effort that you've put into the comedy that's why mm-hmm. I, I say just from the comfort of my own seat i'm like i would love to see what that looks like and i'm glad you're doing that and fucking around with the comedic version to see what happens yeah yeah i think that could be really interesting and something that really does stand out from the crowd 
Thank you. I appreciate you, you giving that feedback. I think that's where I'm, I'm trying to not be too married or precious to any of it at this point, because I mean, it's been three months, three and a half months, you know, and like, that's no time at all. Like in, in sure. as far as the film world goes and, and everything else. So I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying not to be too precious about anything or like be too dead set on anything. Like I'm supposed to, I was supposed to go to Monterey for a screening at the end of this week. They, they're like, uh, wait until, wait until we get our funds approved to pay you for it before you book anything, Thanks. buddy. It's Friday. Holy shit. What do you yeah, mean? Yeah. So, so like things like that, I'm trying to like, I don't know anything about this, um, about this festival circuit, screenings, yeah, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. So like, I've been taking on the logistics of that. Holy shit. Um, that's and a that fucking, is, oh. dude, I hate yeah. it. I don't have representation. Yeah. Like I'm just trying to keep my head above water and not take on too much. Like from the time I've made the film, I've, I've done an hour. Um, I did an hour on November 4th in Baton Rouge with stand up. And then I did the keynote speech at Nichols on Veterans Day. Um, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of podcast interviews and stuff like that. So I'm just now getting to a point where like Monterey is kind of the last thing that I have for a minute. And I'm just trying to take a breath, man. Hold your breath and make it through. Yeah. 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 Hey, um, Chris, tell everybody where they, where they, how they need to follow you where they need to go to see the movie, give them all the links so people can check it out and check you. Sure. So um, my Instagram, Twitter, and new uh, YouTube handle are all Mr. Mary Clarence. That's MR. Um, Mary Clarence is in Sister Mary Clarence. Um, That's all my socials. Now the link to the movie is it's on YouTube, but the links in my bio on my Instagram um, again, that's at Mr. Mary Clarence. Um, my we'll put YouTube it in the show channel. notes. We'll put it in the show cool. notes as well. All right. yeah, yeah, my sure. YouTube channel, um, it's called Stoned Pigman because I'm an ex cop. So, like, when you were talking earlier about, um, you know, you'd rather be on the side of getting like way more benefits and stuff than on the side of like, fuck you, dude. Like, <laughs> I've been on both sides in that aspect. Um, and I don't know. I think there's is something endearing about, uh, those, those chants sometimes, but clearly not, um, not for everyone. Um, that's a whole nother conversation we could have yeah, too. Cause I, that was yeah. another thing that in the movie, I was like, did he just say he was a police officer? Yeah. I was like, what the yeah. fuck? And I was yeah. like, yeah. Well, okay, well that's, we'll, that's we'll kind of the point. That. Like I, I, I got out of the army and did all the things people expected me to do. You know what I mean? Like I'm checking yeah. all these boxes cause I have yeah. this experience and that's the easiest job to get. So that's kind of how that happened. And I'm just doing these things to try to satisfy everyone around me. Cause that's what expected of me. Yeah. Um, so that's how that kind of happened. Knowing the whole time, like this is not for me at all it's just not set up i wanted to be the guy to make a difference it's not really set up to allow anyone to do that just the systems that we that we have um yeah so instagram twitter all that mr mary clarence um my youtube channel is called stoned pig man um and you can find the film on there and i've got some other little ditties on there from like that same timeline where i'm just kind of riffing on shit and you're kind of seeing me in a manic state kind of just seeing like i've realized i've created something and now i'm like well fuck what am i doing like you know you're kind of watching me like react to watching it all in yeah. one 
12 swoop like i couldn't sleep and i was like all right fuck it we'll just go back on on camera then <laughs> fucking trippy so, yeah, dude little... this was a blast chris let's keep talking man um to be yeah. continued this was oh this was awesome and um yeah i i can't wait for the next time man i can't wait Thank to see what happens much. with this film and with everything that you're doing i appreciate it chris thanks for having me it was a great time that was chris sparks profile in havoc um i said the movie is in the YouTube link uh, on the, the in the show notes on this page. So scroll up, scroll down, wherever it is. Um, find it. Check it out. Really check it out. Um, I'd be interested to know what you guys think. Um, I think it's it's worthy subject matter to gnaw over and discuss and mull. Okay. At the top of this episode, we talked about our first sponsor, which is the Second Mission Foundation. But now I want to take a second and talk about our other sponsor of this episode, um, my organization, Veterans Repertory Theater. Veterans Repertory Theater is a tax-exempt nonprofit 501c3 organization which provides a platform for talented veterans to create compelling live theater and events in order to enhance, enliven, and invigorate American theater and the live performance arts. Um, you guys have heard me talk a lot about it, so I won't get too deep in the weeds on the philosophy and the activities of vet rep. I will instead shift right to the shameless plugs. There aren't a ton because it's that time of year where we're starting to enter our downtime, our reset time, but we are going to have Savage Wonderground immersive art events and immersive theater events and full on straight plays and a whole bunch of stuff coming up uh, when we kick off our 2023 season in April. Um, for everything that VetRep does, go to VETREP.org, 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 and you will see everything we have going on. Um, some people I know are confused sometimes about like, well, there's VetRep and then there's Savage Wonder that we always hear about. Savage Wonder is essentially an umbrella uh, line of effort for everything we do that's for veterans in the arts writ large, not specifically about theater. Um, so vet rep is the whole organization, but Savage Wonder and then all the different Savage Wonder events um, are for veterans in the arts, not just theater. Um, the other thing I always say is that vet rep is not here to help veterans. We're not that kind of organization. We are the kind of organization that looks to use veterans' particular skill sets, experiential wisdom to solve or address an issue. And the issue we happen to address, the sandbag we try to fill, is live entertainment and theater. That's it. And why we do that and why that's important is because I think it's something that not only does, sure, does it probably help the veterans that are doing it, but it's also something that veterans can really do well. And veterans are the most underrepresented group in American theater um, for reasons I won't get into right now, and I could only speculate on it best anyway. But... I think the country and the culture lose a lot when veterans are not part of that cultural fabric. And when veterans, uh, not even just their no shit there I was stories, but just veterans, uh, what, what's in uh, each individual veteran's heart is not getting into the cultural makeup. And at Vet Rep, that's what we try to do is we try to identify not all veterans, just veterans that are really artistically gifted. I think art therapy is great. 
I think art therapy is incredibly valuable, um, but not everyone's an artist, and that's fine. You don't have to be. For those that are and really do have talent, then vet reps there to nurture that talent, give it a platform, um, develop it, and produce it. And um, I think by inserting and infiltrating veterans into the arts, uh, we can we can change American culture for the better. Not that it needs a ton of changing, but I think it's just adding a, a, a real degree of um, gravity and gravitas and uh, thoughtfulness. And I guess I'll, I'll give my little stump speech on why I think veterans are special, because I think that answers directly why it's important to insert veterans into the culture. I think what makes a veteran special, not that they're stronger, faster, better looking than anybody else, but instead that veterans have had a high high volume of significant emotional events experienced in a compressed period of time relatively early in life. That kind of experiential wisdom and knowledge is a gut-level understanding of humanity at the extremes, conflict, drama. That's theater. <laughs> that that that's, that's, should be what American theater wants to capitalize on. Veterans should have a home in theater um, because it's a beautiful American art form that has become more and more provincial and more and more segregated and more and more isolated. And it shouldn't be. It's veterans love a community. This is a collaborative community of veterans that are um, you know, feeding off each other, raising each other up. Um, you know, theater just has so many benefits for veterans but even more than that, veterans have tons of benefits for the audience and for audiences that, are, that don't even know they want to see American theater because it's been so far removed from them for so long. And um, I think bringing American, uh, the American theater scene a little bit more relevance, a little bit more gravitas, some folks that have you know, had some different life experiences than simply coming up through the theater pipeline in this country. Um, or the, or God forbid, the celebrity or, or social media influencer pipeline, I, I think is really healthy. And I think veterans have an awful lot to offer theater. And for those that really have talent, we are there for it. Um, anyway, if you're still listening at this point, I figured I'd just ramble on and tell you a little bit more about that rep. Um, so that's why I went down that rabbit hole. But for everything vet rep related for even more of the philosophy, the backstory as to how we got started, why we got started, um, all that, go to vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. And yes, if you are one of those people that's still confused about Savage Wonder, you can go there as well. You go to savagewonder.com, savagewonder, all one word.com, and you'll see kind of a, a, a full 360-degree treatment of all of our lines of effort for veterans in the arts that are not theater but can be done live in the live performance space. Okay. I need to thank our producer, Mike Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of Chris Sparks. We'll see you next time for another profile in havoc. 